0: Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of HogHearth.
1: Welcome to the Popular Pig
0: Podcast. My
1: name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Aiden Connolly to talk about what are the mega trends shaping the global animal feed industry for the next decade. How are you doing today, Aiden? Fantastic. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. I'm actually in Canada right now, and it's warmer here than what it is in Iowa, so I'm uh, <laughs> appreciative of that. One thing I'd really like to start off with is just you giving a little of your background. You are a well-known keynote speaker that have has really accomplished a lot of different things in ag and ag tech over the years, and if you could just give us a little of your background, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. Um, Aiden Conley, been involved in ag, I
2: should say, livestock ag uh, For the last 30 years, I had a long and fantastic career with Alltech. They moved me all over the world. I ended up uh, visiting and working in 100 countries and living in about seven of them, learning five languages. So from that, I set up Agritech Capital, which is based out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I still teach on three MBA programs, uh, one in the U.S., uh, one in Ireland, one in China, Obviously, as you pointed out, write pretty uh, widely, including for Forbes, uh, the Forbes Technology Council, uh, but also for several of the magazines involved in, in livestock, and uh, speak at conferences on behalf of lots of people, including the Soy Export uh, Council. Um, so just have had the opportunity to see a lot of things in the world. tech is my passion. I have very much focused in the last couple of years on digital tech. But still very instant nutrition, genomics, genetics you know and 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 everything that can affect the way that we grow pork today on farm,
1: yeah, listeners probably already knew you were a smart guy before you rattled off all of the <laughs> really okay. great things you've accomplished just because you live in Wilmington, like you were smart enough to pick wilmington that is that is a great place to live it's a pretty nice place to live that's
2: for sure if you're and if you're going to be involved in pork production that's about as good a good a location
1: anywhere in the world as you're ever going to pick. Oh yeah, that's great. But uh, to start things off, let's talk about the six big trends that you're seeing right now. And if we could contextualize that around in those trends, where are farmers a part of them and where are they kind of being excluded? Yeah. So, so
2: it's very hard to capture all of the change that's going on at the moment I mean, we use the word transformation, disruption all the time, and some people get tired of it. But the reality is the changes that are taking place in agriculture are greater than any time in history. And although the technology hasn't delivered on all of the promises so far, it is promising an awful lot. Um, I picked six of them where I thought substantial changes have taken place that maybe people need to keep up to date with. And of course, afterwards, uh, when I put the blog up on LinkedIn, um, I think it was read a thousand times or whatever, but, but quite a few people had opinions about things I, they thought I'd missed. But let's focus on the six that I chose. So I chose three C's, China, COVID, and climate change. And I chose three others, which were, I'll call fake foods, but you know not everybody loves that. So let's just call it alternatives to uh, to meat proteins, milk proteins, egg proteins. Um, I also covered uh, vertical farms, uh, not as big a deal, obviously, in hog production, but still of interest in food production in general, and digital technologies as a catch-all for everything to do with uh, what you're doing, uh, Matthew, in Swine Tech, uh, what I did working in Caintus, and all the other companies out there with sensors, robots, uh, blockchain, and, um, and, and of course, what what's going on even with things like 3D printing. So... That that that's those are kind of the six that I thought deserved special
1: attention moving into 2022. So would you be able to break down the three C's then? Uh, start, I mean, whatever one you you'd like to focus on. Let's let's start on maybe climate change.
2: Yeah, cl- climate change is an irritation, as you know, to people in agriculture. It's an irritation because we feel and and point out correctly the improvements we've made over time in producing proteins and those efficiencies that we've seen over the last 5, 10, 15, 50 years, we think we should should get some medals for, and, and perhaps we should. The problem is that the agenda is not being driven by people in agriculture. So I think we just need to be aware of the fact that everything we do needs to have some sort of form of sustainability angle to it, We need to get better at communicating in metrics, in numbers, the improvements we've made. And we need to assume that we're never going to, it's not a destination, this is a journey. We're just going to continue getting more and more questions. Um, I'm on the board of a crop company in Europe, a non-exec director. And we're at the process of rewriting our sustainability report. Um, It's essential for investors. It's essential for customers. It's even essential for employees. Be able to describe what you're doing to make the world a better place from a climate perspective. And this COP26 that was held in Glasgow, uh, Scotland, uh, about a month ago, everybody says it didn't make much change. But there isn't a food company in the world that is not today concerned with addressing or showing how they are addressing climate change as we move forward. So whether you like it as a topic, love it as a topic or hate it as a topic for 2022, uh, you need to get ready to be able to write down all of your production metrics, all of your performance metrics in a form that makes sense in terms of
1: climate change and sustainability, so when we look at that, I think there's a lot of valid things that have that have been brought up over the past few years that are that are here to stay. Is there anything around the sustainability conversations that are being had right now that are let's say over overhyped or not popular amongst individuals that are in those conversations, not by producers, I say, I mean, not from the producer perspective, but just from the perspective of the people at the table. Uh, what might be overhyped or unpopular? Is there something? Um, I, I don't I think this is the, this is what I'm trying to
2: say. We can fall into the trap of saying it's all overhyped. It is all overhyped, <laughs> but we're not going to be allowed away with the answer of let's wait till it gets to some steady state we need to address that now. So let's take methane. Methane digesters are a good thing. Obviously, they tend to be more attractive when we're thinking of ruminant animals, dairy and beef, because of the type of manure they produce, because of the gases that come out. But at the same time, there are a lot of tax credits out there. There are a lot of people asking what we're doing with manure, particularly in pig lagoons and swine lagoons. So those are things I think rather than saying, let somebody else do it first, let the pioneers go first. I think we need to be upfront and on top of it. Um, if I look, if I'm out in the, the the Midwest, you know, if you're in Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, you see a lot of wind farms. You see people increasingly using solar. Um, people talking about using solar on farms where you grow other crops at the same time. So in the same field have the solar panels and have other things growing around or underneath. Uh, maybe even animals underneath. Uh, we've talked about what we could do in terms of uh, thermo heating, so so injecting water down into the ground and bringing it back up hot. Everything we can do to make the farm not require electricity from another source and maybe even be exothermic, you know, producing electricity back into the system. Those are cool technologies, and if you get grants and if you have a perspective, I know some people have said, well. If California changes, we're not going to need all of this technology. If they roll back some of their requirements for renewable energy, maybe it doesn't make sense anymore. And yet, look at all the states that are now chasing down the same route. I'm thinking of Washington State. I'm thinking of Oregon. I'm thinking of New York. So I I think this is a movement which is coming. It's not going to get less. And I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be last on, last on the bus when it comes to that technology. It, it gives you a great
1: story from the perspective of climate change and sustainability. And I think it can make money on your farm as well. So then what's the next C in regards well, to big trends that we need yeah. to be thinking about?
2: Well, let's, let's, you know, let's rattle to, through the other two, they They're relatively easy China. I don't think I need to explain to anybody in the hog business why China is important, but I think I do sometimes when I come to people in other parts of U.S. agriculture, um, the Brazilians are very aware of how important China is. So China's decision to become the <coughs> be, um, self-sufficient in pork, to perhaps even be not just the number one consumer of pork, but the number one producer of pork, and clearly that has going to ha- is going to have an impact How will they do that? Are they going to be able to grow their own beans and corn to be able to sustain that? Will they have to continue importing from other countries? Is it even possible on their land mass to produce as much pork? In the meantime, with uh, the continuation of swine fever um, uh, re-emerging in China uh, with some of the other decisions that are taking place with respect to trying to put some of these smaller farms out of business, we see it in sound numbers in China. Long story short, If you wake up in the morning, uh, uh, any day of the week, I'd say. But let's say on a Monday, and you decide that uh, you need to read read something about what's happening in the world. If I was in hog production, the first story I'd be reading would be finding out what's going on in China, because they affect everything we do. Um, Covid is the third C. Um, I am hoping we're at the coming to the end of Covid. I'm hoping that a little bit like we talk about competitive exclusion in pigs, where we give certain types of bacteria, like a probiotic. To exclude other bacteria from colonizing. I'm hoping the fact of uh, Omicron becoming as, as widespread as it is uh, demonstrates that we're at the end of this pandemic. But the pandemic has changed so many things. People said they didn't want their food covered in plastic. Now they want all of their food covered in plastic. <laughs> they uh, said they you know, didn't didn't like food waste, um, et cetera. But, but now we see that uh, if, if there's any sense, sense of contamination, um, you've seen the massive changes in going back to restra- uh, going away from restaurants, should I say. So, you know, so much has been disrupted even through to the fact you and I are having a Zoom call at the moment instead of a phone call. Um, everything about that will, of course, go back to some sort of steady state, some midpoint, but I think that is going to take time. And I think we're going to be disrupted
1: through due to this COVID for the next three years, even after it's gone. So when we go back to China here quick uh, before we move on to the next topic, how when you say if you're gonna pick up something and read about it, be picking up the one about China, a lot of producers' feelings are that what they read about China isn't necessarily true. What out there is true? Is it what's a good source to find at least the truest form of what's going on? I, I guess how should readers be perceiving the information that is coming out of China or that's being written about China?
2: Well, you you go to the sources you trust. So if you think of People who are producing hogs out in China, like, for example, Pipestone, they they clearly have their feet on the ground. They know what's going on. Um, I tend to veer away from some of the more mainstream Chinese uh, media. Um, But but, I mean, you can read it and you can learn a lot from it, but obviously would believe very much in, in, in trade stats. So if they say there's a lot of pork going into Hong Kong or there's a lot of pork going into Asia, um, even if it's not going directly to China, my presumption is some of that's either ending up in China or it's displacing pork in a place that's now exporting to China. So I, I tend to look at those as being the really hard and fast stats. There's a lot of ag media that covers it. There's a lot of, um, you know, t- obviously TV uh, reports, et cetera. I cetera. I, all, all I'm saying is whenever you hear a story on China, prick up your ears and listen to it. Don't don't get the fatigue factor. Don't ignore it, because as the number one consumer of pork and the number one importer of pork still today, what what they decide to do and when they decide to do, uh, has a massive impact on 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 um, on on our business. That that's what I'm trying to say.
1: Oh, it's a huge impact, especially on the U.S. and Canada, when it comes to our business, because of how much they they do import Uh, from us.
2: Entirely, and, and and Germany, and and Italy, and France, you know, <laughs> even through to Denmark and the UK. If if something happens, we used to use the phrase that uh, if Mexico sneezed, uh, Latin America caught a cold. Well, you know, you certainly could say that China sneezed, the the world of pork catches a cold. Uh, maybe maybe even something worse than a cold. But it's um it's it's a it's it's a very I, I find milk producers in the United States are quite ignorant of. How much of an impact the 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 ways in which China consumes milk powder and where they buy and when they buy affect everything to do with the milk price in the U.S. and I would say the same for DDGs and soy and and corn. You you can never know enough about what's happening over there.
1: That's fair. So, what's the next topic that you'd like to focus on? How about how about we uh, we jump on to the alternative proteins? Yeah. So. There's a lot of
2: talk about alternative proteins, particularly on the ones that cellular meats grown on Petri dishes in these very special conditions. Um, Quite a number of reports have come out. Uh, There's one in particular came out at the beginning of the year, just really digging into the specifics of how this is going to happen and pointing out that it's 100 times more expensive to produce a burger using cellular meats, and is to produce it conventionally, let alone whether we could make an argument that conventional uh, uh, beef is consuming uh, things like grasses and fibers that, of course, humans can't consume. Then we get into the issues of contamination within the system, which today require heavy levels of antimicrobials, antibiotics to you and I, uh, require the use of hormones to try to get the cell systems working, and require uh, as close to perfect uh, control of outside infections as you would get in a medical factory or in a fermentation of anything else. So these are things that are just not inexpensive. The, the, the hardware is expensive. The fermenters are expensive. The real estate is expensive. The energy requirement is very, very expensive. And then finally, we still see the systems requiring oh, um, stem cells to be extracted from animals which I don't have an issue with, but you know, it's a bit strange to me that people are saying, "Well, I I, I want to um, I want to not eat meat," but the way that you get the cellular meat or this this, this 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 petri dish meat is by producing it with the stem cells of an animal. Now, all the stories are always about yes, but this is like the frontier of any business, and everything will change as we learn more and more in the future. But uh, frankly, the distance between where we are, where they are at the moment and where they need to get to is enormous. Uh, there are other alternatives. We've heard some interesting things about yeast being used to produce milk type proteins. That looks favorable. And at the moment they're saying that they can do so at a similar cost to milk proteins. I haven't dug into the details, but, but, but at least uh, superficially that looks like that could be the case. And clearly a lot of these texturized proteins, the vegetable proteins, um, are really interesting as well, uh, and, and that's where you get your your some of the bur- the vegetarian burgers coming from. It's where they're trying to produce proteins that have the mouthfeel and taste of meat, but of course don't don't contain meat. Um, the ones I, I've, I've tried seem to taste pretty good, but I do know they use a lot of food ingredients to get to that point. And if you're using a hundred different food additives to try to recreate something that that tastes like meat. Again, I would just question whether long-term the consumer is going to accept that as being a, a better, more sustainable, healthier option than consuming meat from an animal to start with.
1: That's fair, because when you have that many inputs, there's that many more areas for failure, right, of some contamination or something getting in.
2: Entirely. Now, that said, Matthew... I have a very good
1: friend uh,
2: that that owns um, a company processing well two three million pigs, and he said to me, "I think Aiden, we shouldn't look at this as a zero sum game. If I have uh, if I have pork meat, and if I can use some of this texturized vegetable um, protein together with that meat, and I can make a meat light product, maybe that opens some other markets. Maybe even from a cost perspective." It allows me to do some things I wouldn't do otherwise. So I think the technology, I don't think we should be completely negative to technology. I might sound like I'm being very negative, but I'm just trying to point out there, there are big leaps that need to be made. But there are ways in which it could end up helping us in the in hog industry.
1: That's a good point. I think one question I'd have for you is when it comes to the consumers of somebody who might be interested in the cell- cell-based protein, let's say, because, oh, because of animal, not wanting to kill an animal or or stuff like that. That that customer segment typically to be, tends to be the all-natural one as well. And lab-grown meat or culture-based meat would be far from all-natural. How do you think those individuals are going to choose? Do you think that's going to become a dilemma or do you think it's going to be a problem? It just seems like a weird choice. Um, you're going to have to choose all-natural or... Couldn't agree
2: more, uh, Matthew. I, I feel as I listen to this uh, this proposal, the people who don't like pork, the people who don't like beef and have gone from consuming that have also lost the taste in my anecdotal experience. <laughs> you know, you take a random sample of people, you know, and maybe, you know, 50 vegetarians or 100 vegetarians. I don't see them going back and consuming meat because it came from a Petri dish, not from an animal. I think they've lost the taste for that. And there's a small percentage of them. But that said, you you take markets like the UK and some of the European markets, and some of this stuff is exploding. I I, I don't know to what degree don't you get to just where people try stuff and you get a big market, and then maybe as they start hearing counter stories, they move back away from it. I, I have a feeling that could happen. But at the moment, um, there's clearly an awful lot of investment going into this. It, 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 the cost of it will come down. And it, 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 I, I, I don't really see the the cellular meat being a player based on the economics at the moment. But that said, um, other technologies never looked economic either. And of course, they eventually reached the their, 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 their right consumer point.
1: So, what's the next mega trend that uh, you'd like to kind of hop into? Yeah, so two more
2: vertical farming. Um, I think what we've been surprised about is that as we have looked at investor sentiment on vertical farms, it isn't good at the moment. There have been several attempts to raise money using vehicles called SPACs, SPACs, special purpose uh, vehicles for raising money. And one of those collapsed spectacularly when it was intended to be invested. The money was intended for investment in vertical farms. Vertical farms, if you've never been to one, I I went to visit one in a city, I won't say which city, because otherwise I'd give it away, but I was on my way between two airports in a a rental. I thought I, so I drove in to see it. And these are things usually positioned within cities, often in very tough neighborhoods where there isn't very much employment. They're heavily subsidized. um, They are multi-level buildings, uh, maybe ideally hollowed out on the inside. And they contain racks and racks and racks of vegetables and flowers and fruits and and using artificial lighting systems to grow them. It doesn't, just like in a hog farm, it doesn't take much of an infection to bring the whole system down. So even when I went to visit, when I went to go in, they wouldn't let me in because they would want me showering in, showering out. And even then, really? yeah, concerned that an infection from underneath my my fingertips I mean, it's no different than we should than, than we think in terms of hog farming. You see that in Canada or, or the US. Uh, we have to be extremely careful. Well, these systems, if you get an infection and it starts to cause problems, it goes, you know, it, it starts to grow like wildfire, and then you have to turn the whole system off and clean it all the way out. It requires heavy levels of energy naturally. Um, it does require a tremendous amount less water, so that that is quite attractive, but. Um, I think without heavy subsidies, it is, it's going to be difficult to justify them. And that's the conclusion that the investors seem to be taking at the moment. What's interesting about it, however, from my perspective, and I wrote about this in the blog as well, Matthew, is that I think the technology being used in vertical farms around sensors, around water uptake by plants, around artificial intelligence to figure out where heat should be applied, where lighting should be applied, how to, so smart systems of agriculture precise systems uh, for, for farming, those same technologies can be used in in, in other forms of uh, indoor farming, greenhouses, what they call controlled environment uh, agriculture. So you see increasingly the lessons learned from vertical farms being applied to more traditional farms. And, and I'm excited by that. I think that that's where, when we think about how to produce vegetables and fruits and, and, and flowers locally, we think about trying to do so with less water. Uh, what, we learn from the verti- what we're learning from the vertical farming systems, I think, has tremendous applications.
1: And what about the last trend?
2: Last one, digital. You have no interest in that at all, so I'm sure <laughs> we'll move on <laughs> swiftly. Um, look, Swine Tech is an example of uh, some of the success we've seen. Cantus with uh, cameras and vision. Um, I've worked with other companies involved as well, like a company called Labby. They're involved in sensors for detecting changes in milk, uh, SomaDetect, uh, EIO. Um, we've seen lots of different technologies using cameras on the pigs to estimate weight. Uh, when I went to China, I saw Alibaba using it to detect uh, heat, monitor- heat monitoring and heart monitoring in sows. So there's a lot of interesting technology. I think a lot of producers are disappointed. They say, when, when is the hype going to catch up with the reality? When am I going to see a technology that really makes me more money? And it is challenging with all of the startups out there to figure out which ones should I as an integrator, should I as a hog farmer, should I be trying to use? And um, I've tried to be encouraging and point out to people what I think will make the difference. But digital farming will be hot again this year. Clearly, the crop side is ahead of livestock, possibly by as much as ten years and that 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 again is uh, always uh, some is unhappy when you see that when you 're in livestock. You think, well why why are we so far behind and I would say dairy is probably the number one species applying it in, in livestock um, but the ability to control what happens in in, in when, when we 're producing swine, if we can look at temperature. Um, if we can look at water consumption, feed consumption, uniformity of weight, uh, and, of course, all of the gases uh, that, that can exist within a house, carbon dioxide, um, ammonia. Um, I think there's just true, you know These technologies will, are, will continue to come. And, and obviously, we see all of the leading integrators of the world currently with plans to
1: incorporate those into their systems. One, one thing we've been hearing, I'm curious what your, your thoughts are on it, is that with a lot of the technologies, whether that's voice recognition or computer vision or on animal sensors or other sensors, a lot of them have some kind of a component where a person's involved. And, and for example, let's say we identify that an animal is sick. and If somebody responds within four hours versus 20 hours, the outcome is likely to be very different. Producers feel as though a lot of the precision technologies, from what we're hearing, uh, have a requirement of some form by a person. And if that response varies, then the outcome varies and the ROI is unpredictable. And so it typically, even though the product works, will sit in research farms because the ROI is so tied to a person, even if that person's only responsible for the last step of a process. Do you think that? the way we are approaching labor has a big weight uh, has i guess holds a lot of weight on our future success in embracing digital uh, absolutely and and i'm sure
2: I, i've heard some of the same things you have um, producers saying am i going to now have to hire a different level of employee am i going to have to have somebody who has a computer background am i going to have to have somebody but at the same time, they'll point out how difficult it is to hire somebody who knows pigs. And if you grew up with pigs, and if you've been on pig farms, I didn't grow up with pigs, but I've been on pig farms for over 30 years now, you walk into a farm and you intrinsically know some of the things that are going on from a management perspective. You can look at a sow and you can recognize whether she's full of milk, whether she's got good uh, definition in terms of uh, her udders and the ability of each piglet to get to Weaning pig to get to to the teats. Those are things that you can't teach people easily if they come into the business late on. So from that perspective, the ability to consider artificial intelligence, Google goggles, Oculus goggles, whatever they are, kind of that metaverse. So increasing use of artificial uh, augmented reality. What we can do with cameras to be able to observe things when people aren't in the barns. Our sensors, as you said, to listen for changes in sound or changes in body temperature. All of these are trying to help people who probably didn't grow up on a farm, but are very good herdsmen and they they herd people. They 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 can help us a lot. At the same time, we want to provide them with information to make them make their do their jobs better. I'm often asked at conferences, um, you know, do you think we're going to have less people? Uh, How will we find the right people to do the jobs? And I point out that. The medical industry has embraced technologies. You see robots carrying samples up and down the corridor. You see sensors being put on your body whenever you go in for your checkups. You see people being able to do a- analytics extremely quickly on samples they take from you, saliva, nasal swabs, whatever, whatever. So we, but we're not. what we're not seeing is we're not seeing less doctors and we're not seeing less nurses and we're not seeing less staff. What we are seeing is that the healthcare industry has revolutionized and is doing a better job of recognizing what problems people have and what they need to do about them. And I think that's going to be the same model we're going to see in terms of, uh, of, of, of swine production. We are going to see these technologies coming in and allowing our herds people to do a better job of what they do.
1: Yeah, I love that you brought up healthcare. Uh, we spent so much time with Johns Hopkins and Mercy Hospitals and these other groups. And really when we we look at healthcare and the adoption of technologies, and again, they're way ahead of us, it didn't necessarily go all that well to start because they had variability. And a lot of the time it was, well, how do we do things with less nurses? How do we do things with less doctors? And it didn't, didn't go well. But the moment they said, how do we take those who we do have, the doctors and nurses we do have and how do we make them a center of the solution as opposed to the problem? Well, then it was, well, how do we help our people work with technologies? How do we, how do we make that work well together? And and then it took off. I mean, you can look in nursing homes. They had door, right? The door light when somebody asked for help. Well, a nurse might not have got there right away because they couldn't get there until they saw it. Well, get put an app in a nurse's pocket that tells them when the person hit the button, well, now they can prioritize the person based on the need rather easily and successfully, and you can start measuring compliance. And so, I think we can learn a lot from healthcare. A lot from healthcare. Absolutely. And 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 we are. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, we we've seen their model. We know that we have the same issues. We know that when we put in systems that purely try to control people, and our main job is to figure out when people are doing things wrong people don't necessarily like that. So, no. you know, having a system that clearly makes them more effective at their job and and nobody, nobody on a, a livestock farm is setting out to do something that's not good for the animals. Nobody doesn't want to help. Nobody doesn't want to make sure that they've got the feet in front of them and that they're well watered. And and if an animal started to get sick, not to deal with it as early as possible, but just lots of other things are happening. So this is uh, I I I healthcare is a great example of where we can go. There are other industries, of course, embracing it more and more. But
1: um I, I think we should learn from that and and clearly make that make that an example for our future. Yeah, it feels like when you go when you're going into the South farm or somebody that's taking care of animals, the when you're showering in and you start working, the most comparable role is like a CNA or a nurse. Uh, you're just focused on quality of care you want to be able to provide the care as best as possible and entirely and that's that's again always coming back to the same piece of um people don't appreciate
2: <laughs> how precise our system is to start with but it puts us in a very nice position when it
1: comes to incorporation of these types of technologies so one thing i'd like to kind of wrap up the megatrends uh spot here with is uh what is a unpopular belief of Aiden's when you're looking at the future, what is a belief that you might have that might be considered unpopular right now? Do you have any?
2: Uh, Unpopular by whom?
1: I don't know. By, by people who aren't you, right? Like what's an unpopular opinion. Do you have an opinion of the future that might not yet be embraced Um, by a lot of people?
2: You know, sometimes I do, but then sometimes people surprise me. I was at a conference out in Vegas about a month ago, uh, speaking on behalf of the Farm Journal. And three people came up to me and said to me, "How long is it going before we get augmented humans <laughs> <laughs> with uh, chips chips in our brains?" Um, and I don't think it's as long as we want it to be. Um, you know, there's a lot of terrible dystopian kind of conversations about, well, you know, do you go to a job interview and they ask you, "Well, are you a human 1.0 or 2.0?" Um, so you can see lots of ways in which these things get moved into reality. Um, The bet that's taking place in the metaverse at the moment is huge by Microsoft, obviously by Facebook. The idea that we'll all be wearing goggles as we walk around and getting extra information, but maybe it becomes impossible for you not to accept that technology because when you don't use it, you're inferior to somebody who does. And it's very uncomfortable at the moment to wear those big goggles. I'm sure they're going to get lighter. And eventually, who knows, maybe they'll insist again on inserting chips in our eyes. But I, I, this piece of that's never going to happen, which is what I hear from some people. For better or worse, I was glad to hear some producers saying, saying, I believe this is going to happen. Not because any of us want it to happen or think that's going to be, sounds like a very attractive future, but just because the reality of how technology can incorporate it in everything else, it's hard to imagine it, it won't be part of where we end up going.
1: Very interesting. Well, so to wrap things up here, I have a few questions that i like to ask. The first would be, what's something about you most of your colleagues do not know? Oh, my goodness. I
2: think most of my colleagues know far too much about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they,
2: they know that I like to play sport and they know that, uh, that I, like to, uh, I like to travel. Um, I have, um, due to some strange events, uh, got the opportunity to go to what was listed as the world's number one restaurant. On one of these lists of the top fifty, and from that uh, pre-COVID, I was working my way through the rest of them. So it, it's kind of expensive, and I don't want to, you know, don't try to do one every uh do more than probably about one 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 a year uh, with my wife. But um, it, it it is something that I'd like to like to some states state say that I've gone to some number of them. Hopefully, twenty twenty-five of the top fifty
1: would be a nice number. Are are, are they worth it, or is it that good? Um.
2: I think it's a little bit like watching art. You know, you you, you oh, have to okay. appreciate the the effort that goes into it. No, you could never justify the cost. But um, I tell you, the conversations at conferences after you've uh, had a meal like that probably pay for the meal alone. <laughs> the, 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 t- the taste is uh, is one part, but at least uh, at least in talking to people about what pe- what other people do, what chefs do with food is always a fun conversation.
1: That is cool. Second, here, what's the most influential person? for you in your life? Um, I had a
2: lot of very influential people in my life. And I'm very fortunate. I, I have about 30,000 contacts on LinkedIn. And somebody said to me, you've, uh, you know, it's amazing how many friends you have and how many friends you keep up with. And I do try to keep up with people and try to keep connected with people. Um, of course, Pierce Lines, founder of Alltech, uh, he would have been my number one mentor by a factor. Business is now run by 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 Mark Lines, uh, Alltech is, and you know Mark's carrying on all of those traditions and adding more to it. But uh, but Pierce was massively massively um, influential in every aspect of of how I developed. Of course, there were professors at college. Of course, my mom and my dad. Um, but uh, I don't think you'd meet too many people who who met uh, Doctor Pierce Lines who who wouldn't list him as one of the people who. Who who made a difference in their life
1: even sometimes when they only met met the man once and sometimes only for a few minutes i didn't even get an opportunity to meet him i just went through his accelerator and and saw what was created and and the passion and, and mark and and everybody else and you could just tell he was a really special person oh absolutely what is a golden nugget that you can leave with listeners a life lesson
2: I'm not going to say something, unfortunately, that would be that revolutionary. But um, I, I, I love the idea of continuous learning. I think it's easier said than done. You know, what do you do each day to make yourself smarter, more knowledgeable? Um, I, I, and, and you know, I I, thank, I take your compliments at the beginning that 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 I, you know, try to be smart in my life, but. The smartest thing I've always learned is to, to, to surround myself with friends that are smart or know things I don't know. But either way, just reading, reading newspapers, reading articles online. There's an awful lot you can learn from YouTube nowadays. Um, going to conferences, traveling, everything you can do to expose yourself to new ideas, even if you don't agree with them. I think that continuous learning is invaluable for a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old. And the best seventy-year-olds and eighty-year-olds I know—they they still embrace it. So, if uh, if you if you don't think that that's important, uh, take it from me uh, that in my opinion, it's uh, it's worth it's worth certainly continuing to to make that part of every day uh, every day that you have on this planet.
1: So, a short spinoff off of the continuous learning and the fact that we're talking about the future and and chips and. Well, short term, very, very long term, maybe not so long term. <laughs> what do you think are going to be a couple hobbies of the future that might not necessarily exist today?
2: Well, the, the parts that we always reflect on when we're in those conversations, you know, you get together with a group from MIT or, or Cal Poly or, 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 or Georgia. Inevitably the conversation comes down to what can we not replicate with computers? What can we not replicate with artificial intelligence? And today, what we can't replicate is humor, and we can't replicate um, can't replicate imagination. So, what can you do to facilitate to in- find ways to be creative, to find ways to use your to build your imagination? And there are books and systems online that teach you about it, but they can't teach a computer. So that that, that plus humor are very vital. Uh, human characteristics that that would probably be more important in the future than than any amount of learning of mathematics um, algorithms or indeed even uh, even book learning so be a futurist and be funny (laughs) that's right yes (laughs) start off each future talk with a joke that's what i think you should do
1: (laughs) well thank you aiden for joining us on the popular pick podcast it's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest and and we can't thank you enough
2: My honor, uh, honestly, and I've seen you've had some great other speakers, both from the industry and outside the industry. And I uh, commend you on putting this together, Matthew. I know it's a lot of work, so well done on doing it.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.